Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians Podcast, and this is episode number 80, and being recorded before the end of the year in Beirut, Lebanon at Bar 13 and at Bliss Street, uh, and today we will be discussing neonatal care and resources in Lebanon with Dr. Fauzi Malouf. Uh, Dr. Malouf is a assistant professor of neonatology and neonatal intensive care at the American University of Beirut. He did his medical school at AUB, went to the U.S. where he did his pediatric residency at the University of Arizona in Tucson, Arizona, and then did his NICU fellowship at Vanderbilt University and uh, moved back to Lebanon immediately afterwards to help out the country. Welcome, Dr. Malouf, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Khalil, for having me. It's a pleasure. Dr. Malouf, first, before we start uh, diving into neonatal intensive uh, care, can you tell me like what the field of neonatology is, who does it take care of, and who needs neonatal intensive uh, care from the neonates? So uh, neonatology as a specialty, it's uh, a medicine that takes care of uh, babies in the first uh, 28 days of life, which is a neonate or a newborn. We usually take care of all babies. However, babies that will require intensive care are those who are either premature, meaning that they are born before 37 weeks of life or before the ninth month of pregnancy, or babies who have uh, some other problems that are either diagnosed before they are born or as a congenital malformation, or babies that have problems adjusting to postnatal life. So after they're born, they have difficulty either breathing or have some heart diseases. So this is a specialty in general. We cater to a lot of patients. We see uh, babies who are either extremely premature. So these are babies that are less than 28 weeks of gestation. And this is a group of uh, very fragile patients that we call uh, extremely premature. We have babies who are very premature, who are between 28 and 32 weeks of gestation. There's a group of babies who are late preterm. So these are between 34 and 37 weeks of gestation. And then the rest are the term babies. So I work in a tertiary center, which is the American University of Beirut. We have all the pediatric subspecialties available. We cater to most of the country and we have surgical care for all these babies. Thank you, Fawzi. That was a good overview of neonatology and unit intensive care. And actually, I learned some from you from this answer. So I'm going to discuss with you the neonatal care worldwide because we hear, I mean, when you start reading, I'm in medicine, but obviously I don't, I'm not in pediatrics. So I don't read a lot about uh, pediatrics, but when you read the news or uh, you read some papers, uh, you see that survival of neonates is getting better, like premature babies who are even born more, more, more and more prematurely are able to survive and maybe lead a normal life. Can you tell us what are the advancements in neonatology worldwide and how these are affecting uh, survival of neonates? Neonatology as a field is a relatively new medicine. So the development of neonatal intensive care has been mostly in the 1950s and 1960s. That's why compared to other medicines, it is one of the more recent ones. We know historically that the younger or the earlier a baby is born, the more likely that they will not survive. However, in the last, uh, I would say, 30 to 40 years, we've had a great improvement in survival. We have babies who uh, historically would not survive hours or days outside the womb that are actually being discharged home and have uh, an almost normal quality of life. So babies who are born at the, the limits of prematurity or limits of viability are babies who are usually between 23 and 24 weeks historically. So this is for some people, they call it, uh, they use the months. So this is about five to six months of pregnancy. Now we have babies who are even earlier in the, in the world. So 22 weeks or 23 weeks, which is the edge of viability. This is 
physiologically the limit of a human being able to survive, mostly depending on how mature their lungs are when they're born. So in many advanced centers across the world, from the United States, Europe, and Japan, we have seen more and more publications of these babies surviving. Uh, now, the challenge faced previously was a lot of places would not offer care to those babies who were at the limits of viability, knowing that their chances of survival are not that great. And now there's more and more openness to that and more care is offered to these babies who are at the limits. So um, the bread and butter of neonatology across the world is babies who are born after 28 weeks of gestation. However, we are seeing more and more daring uh, treatments for those babies who are born earlier than that. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for all the work you do. And, I, and now I'm going to ask you about the care at AUB. I remember when I was a, a medical student, the, my only memory of neonatology was like going in very early and counting uh, calories. And I didn't have very good memories of these days, but how is neonatal care at AUB now? And what are the advancements? And do medical students still count calories at this point? Uh, and then after you tell me about neonatal care at AUB, uh, has it been affected by the crisis? And if it has, is it back to normal now? I share with you the same memories. Uh, when I was a student at AUB, I also used to go in at six in the morning and count, count calories. No one wants to do that. Thankfully, there are electronic health record and systems that uh, do that for us now. But we also want to teach uh, students, residents, fellows these because you never know when, uh, when and where you will end up being. Uh, you might be in a place where they don't have the luxury of having electronic health uh, systems that can uh, do that for you. So it's interesting to understand the physiology and the medicine behind why, uh, what we do. Neonatology is a very critical field. Uh, it all depends on the small and minute details. The babies we take care of are tiny. Any change in the doses that we give, the calories that we give, the volumes of the medications that we give all are factored in at the end of the day. At AUB, so the level of care that we offer is, uh, I would say, top tier care in Lebanon. We take care of all kinds of babies, babies who are extremely premature. We're talking about babies who are born as young as 23 weeks or babies with major congenital anomalies such as congenital heart disease. Uh, you recently mentioned the conjoint twins that we did at AUB. So that also is something that we've done recently. The number of patients that we typically used to see before the financial crisis was about 15 to 18 babies at one time. Our unit can uh, see babies up to 20, uh, 23, 24 babies at a time. However, more recently, we're mostly seeing between five to 10 babies in the unit at one time. And that has to do with decreased in insurance coverage, decreased uh, deliveries throughout the country, especially at AUB, and the financial limitations to be able to afford this uh, level of care. We've gone to different units across the country, and this we see this trend too. And I'm, and I'm talking about private hospitals. There has been a, a, a decrease or shift toward a decreased number of patients throughout. I don't have an explanation for that because also when you're sitting with friends and talking about the deliveries, people say, you know, our deliveries are still the same. Some will tell you, no, the deliveries are, are, are dropped. Now, another problem with num when we're talking about numbers and the crisis is uh, we had a shortage of medication at some point. Also, the financial crisis affected a lot of patients who had good insurances and lost their insurance or had subsidized insurance through the Ministry of Health that also lost that. So these babies, uh, th these patients don't end up coming to our hospital. They might be going other, other places too. 
So my uh, next question for you is, uh, we talked about NICU care at AUB. How is NICU care in the rest of the Beirut area? I know, I mean, there's there's a number of big hospitals in, in, in Beirut, but then there's also a number of smaller hospitals in the Beirut area. So how is NICU care uh, in these hospitals too? And do they offer the same services uh, that AUB is offering at this point? So one thing I can guarantee you is in Beirut, there's no shortage of hospitals. You have many hospitals within a, uh, within one block and walking distance. Some see it as a positive. I probably see it more as a negative. Sometimes competition is not the best thing to have, uh, especially when you're dealing with um, uh, with critical situations. You want more patients to be in one place, taking care of the same team throughout. So I don't usually go to other places. I've, I've visited some places. Uh, we have a project we probably will talk about later on, but uh, we've visited some of the other NICUs. NICUs that are associated with academic centers, so those with medical schools, tend to have a decent quality of care. You know, places don't usually share their numbers, but just talking to our colleagues, we see that they're doing a good job. But the only limitation is they offer care to older babies than we do. We tend to uh, see the younger, uh, more premature babies. Uh, I think that's because our that's how our practice has been throughout. Now, this is only in private uh, hospitals. We know that a, a big, big chunk of patients in Lebanon do not have good insurance or do not have any insurance at all, and they are dependent on uh, governmental uh, services. Uh, so we've been through, uh, we've been to different uh, governmental hospitals, and the main limitation to care there is the financial aspect of things. There's a lack of equipment, lack of physicians, lack of training. Uh, that's not available actually, and um, this might uh, affect the care that we see in other places. Uh, we, as a tertiary center, we also get referrals from different places, and sometimes we get babies who are coming from different hospitals who are late in the stage of their illness. So these are babies that, if they were picked up earlier, would have, would have had uh, better outcomes. Uh, recently, we've seen. Uh, a bunch of uh, patients who had one of the complications of prematurity is retinopathy of prematurity. So this is when the vessels in the eye don't develop uh, properly and can lead to blindness. And this is one of the more, more common causes of blindness in babies. If detected earlier, uh, we have services and treatments that we can offer to these babies. Uh, so recently, we've seen a lot of uh, babies, uh, infants, who presented to some of our colleagues who had advanced disease and mostly be uh, the, the, the reason was because they were not screened adequately or in time. And I think uh, that has to do with the lack of subspecialists in the peripheral areas and, and even in Beirut. Yeah, which brings me to to my next question, which is, uh, how is NICU care in the rest of the country? Because we know that in Beirut, there's a lot of hospitals. Uh, but how is NICU care, let's say, in the north, in the south, in the Bekaa Valley and other areas of the of the country at this time? Is it, is it as adequate as it is in Beirut? To answer this question, uh, I will refer to a certain project that we've been, uh, so our group at AUB uh, has been working with and in collaboration with the uh, United Nations, the UNICEF. Uh, so this is the project that enabled us to go to different governmental hospitals in the peripheries in Lebanon. We've had hospitals in Akkar, Tripoli, uh, the Wikaa area, so different provinces in the country. And we were able to actually visit these hospitals, talk to the physicians, talk to the nurses, look at the babies in the, uh, the NICUs. And we saw a really, it's, I mean, the situation is really bad. It's, uh, and this is reflective of what the country is going through recently. Uh, we have uh, basic resources that are not available. As I was saying earlier, uh, one of the mainstays of neonatal care now is uh, through non-invasive ventilation, which is CPAP. 
And CPAP in most of these hospitals is, is not available and it hasn't been available for years. So a baby is either on no support or, uh, at all or intubated on a ventilator. And most babies in the NICU are usually on non-invasive support. So we try to avoid intubation. There is a lack of medications, a lack of uh, testing. So we've been to hospitals where they don't even have the blood culture bottles to check if a baby has an infection. So they would just treat the baby anyways and expose them to antibiotics. We have places that they don't have the blood gas machine. So if a baby is on a ventilator, the parents have to go to a private hospital across the city, buy the syringes, come to the hospital, get the lab, send it back to the other hospital and wait for the results, which delays care. And sometimes people don't have the means, financial means to do so. And physicians are just uh, going by how the patient looks. So it's, uh, it's kind of rudimentary neonatology compared to what we've seen in the last 20 years. And that will eventually lead to worse outcomes. And we will see these babies uh, years to years to come who are affected by this. So my next question is talking about that. So does the Ministry of Public Health uh, keep records of outcomes in the different hospitals that patients or the public can access? Or there's no such records to see, for example, which hospital has better outcomes than which hospital has worse outcomes? Collecting data in general in Lebanon is not the forte of the Ministry of Health. There has been a, for example, a registry for birth defects that was developed years back, and that should be accessible because it's public. So you can say you can tell how many birth defects are there in a year. When it comes to actual mortality and morbidity, there's no way of knowing that officially. Everything that we look at is either. Uh, non-official reports or surveys done by different institutions or organizations, but the Ministry of Health currently does not have a mortality reporting or morbidity reporting. And this is a major, major flaw in our system, because if you don't have your numbers, you don't know where to target uh, your interventions and uh, and follow up on what you're doing. We are in a process of developing such a, sur a surveillance system uh, however, it takes a lot of resources, as you probably can see. This, uh, I mean, we're in a country that is facing so many problems. Even if you develop a resource or a way of uh, surveillance, uh, you need to con continue that in the future. And this has to be planned by the Ministry of Health. Uh, yeah, I agree. And which brings me to, to the next question, which is, uh, what, what what is the benefit of perinatal regionalization? And one is, let's define it, two and uh, as, I, as I've heard from you and from others, it's lacking in, in Lebanon. So what's the benefit of perinatal regionalization? And first, also, can you define what that means uh, in this case? Perinatal regionalization, so it's two words. Perinatal is anything that has to do with the care of the pregnant woman before delivery, during delivery, and after delivery, which also includes taking care of the baby, the neonate or newborn. And this care, which is called perinatal care, once you regionalize it, so you you set different regions for different ki kinds of care, that's what most healthcare systems would end up having better outcomes. For example, um, I would first define level of care of a newborn neonatal intensive care. There are four levels of care. So a level one neonatal intensive care unit or level one newborn care would be what you would see in a regular newborn. So baby, a mother comes and delivers, baby is born, doing fine, just needs uh, support for the next few hours, make sure breastfeeding is doing fine, and then you would send them home. 
Level two, uh, and this is uh, mostly for uh, days who are born term or late preterm. So end of the eighth month or the whole nine months of pregnancy. Level two care would be babies who are either born uh, late preterm and have some difficulty, for example, with breathing. Uh, you would support them with non-invasive ventilation or uh, babies who are born prior to that. So more preterm babies and the goal of the level of care there is to stabilize the baby, make sure that they're able to be transferred somewhere else, which is which has a higher level of care. And that's where the regionalization makes a difference because once you're in a lower level hospital, you need to have some sort of a regionalized system to know where to send your patients. Uh, a level three and level four are very similar to each other. This is a major center that uh, is a referral center to the area. They take care of any newborn baby, be it term, extreme preterm, babies who require mechanical ventilation. And the difference between level three and level four is in level four centers, uh, you will need the availability of uh, pediatric subspecialties to make sure that they are, do they are doing the proper consultations and the presence of surgical specialties so that if a baby requires any sort of intervention, surgery, then they can do that over there. These are the levels of care. And so. Perinatal regionalization is more of a system where you can detect any uh, high-risk pregnancy, uh, which would result in a high-risk newborn, and you will know what services are needed in a different area. For example, let's say Be let's say we're talking about the region of Beirut. So for Beirut, you would need let's say because it's a one of the more uh, more uh, more populated areas in Lebanon. So you would require many places that are level ones where they can take these babies because most babies, as I said before, 90% of them will not need any uh, extra neonatal care. Uh, so you will have more birthing places, birthing centers, centers that, uh, that can accommodate regular deliveries. But for every certain number of basic centers, you will need a higher level of care uh, to go to because you don't want someone to deliver in Beirut and then you, you will have to send their child um, to the Bika. Uh, so it's because we not want families to be close to their to their uh, newborns. Uh, so you would have less and less level twos, and then two or three probably level three uh, level three slash level four centers in Beirut. And this should be duplicated in different uh, places in the country. Uh, I know it's not feasible to have higher level care in all of the country, um, but you will need some sort of a safety net in most of the provinces where you can stabilize patients and know where to send them. Now, a big barrier to that would be finances, of course. So a mother delivers in, a, in the VCA and they have limited resources. The baby is stabilized, but then you want to send them to a higher level place, probably in, uh, let's say, Beirut. But the family cannot afford that. And the ministry, let's say the Ministry of Health is covering the hospitalization, but the Ministry of Health doesn't have a place to put that baby. So this is how the system fails. So everything should be set up front. And for this system to work, uh, you need also a, a way to transfer patients. You need a good transfer system, transport system that includes a transport nurse, transport physician, good uh, ambulances to take care of these very, very fragile babies. And you also need a, a way of to reverse transfer or back transfer babies after they are stabilized and they're sent to a higher acuity center. Once they're stabilized and they can be taken care of in other places, more uh, primary cases, you can send them back. So yes, as I said, uh, finances are a big issue. The other issue is also 
awareness and medical literacy. A lot of pe uh, people in the country don't know that. I mean, they don't know. They think that all babies are the same, premature, whether uh, whether they're premature or not. And if they're premature, that all premature babies are the same. And that's not the case. Uh, babies who have who are born more and more um, premature will require more care and more advanced services, and they need to know this upfront. So I talked more mostly on neonatal care, but when it, we're talking about perinatal, let's say you detect a mother who is at high risk of delivering extremely premature, instead of delivering a baby somewhere else and sending the baby, it's probably safer to send the mother. And we, we call this an in utero transfer. So the baby is actually being transferred in the mother before the baby is delivered so that the mother can get adequate care and the baby can get adequate care uh, in a highly specialized center. Yeah, so basically, I understand from you, actually, I, w I would say that that basically similar to, let's say, a STEMI or something like that, right, where you have a, a, a center of excellence for heart attacks, and then you send the patient directly to that center of excellence if they have a, a ST elevation or, or, a, or a severe heart attack, and similar to a stroke, and probably it's the same for perinatal care, because if you send the patient in earlier for assessment then probably the outcomes are better i don't know the data but probably i, I assume that the outcomes will be better if that if that happens uh, so saying that because we were talking about payments and insurance and i know when i used to work here i remember that i was surprised initially when i learned that the ambulances are not as equipped as they are in the u.s like you get a, a regular ambulance that just transports the patient maybe has some oxygen in it but doesn't have much and if you want more than that you have to pay money for that and that's that would be hard for transfers so saying that so What's the insurance coverage for for most people in Lebanon? How is it? How are they covered? And also, how does it compare to Syrian refugees? Because there's a lot of talk of oh my God, like Syrian refugees are better covered than Lebanese people, and I don't know if that's true or not. But what's the insurance coverage, and how does it compare to Syrian refugees? So I won't open that can of worms about about the differences between Lebanese and Syrians, but. Um... Yes, transfers uh, are a problem in Lebanon. We don't have the equipment. We're mostly dependent on non-governmental organizations, mostly the Red Cross for transfers. And the Red Cross just comes with a driver and an ambulance. You don't have physicians there. You don't have nurses there. And equipment is lacking in the ambulance. So yes, insurances don't cover transport. So as you said, people end up paying out of pocket for transports. And if you get uh, lucky and have a physician with you in the transport, then that's going to cost you more. Looking at the population, I don't have the exact numbers, but most people in Lebanon don't have private insurance. And you know all the problems with having your uh, national insurance and national uh, services at the month. The problem is if you don't have insurance, they probably won't have good care. And that would be reflected in the outcomes too. So if you don't have the insurance, then it will be a problem going from one hospital to another. Uh, one thing that we see in Lebanon is if you need to be transferred from one hospital to another before doing so, you need an approval from the receiving hospital. And if, and if you don't have the uh, ways or the means to pay that hospital, then they will not accept the patient. And this patient will end up staying in a hospital waiting for some sort of help. Now, to help with this, there are different organizations and funds throughout the country that might help with that. But still, this is just putting a band-aid to the main problem, which is the financial situation of the of the country. So having a fund helping here and there does not solve the main issue and does not target all people uh, that are um, available in Lebanon. Now, there are talks, as you briefly introduced, between... Uh, I mean, we have the big problem, which is the Syrian refugees in Lebanon. 
and there are uh, many UN organizations, mostly uh, UNHCR, that is helping with healthcare of this uh, this population, which is growing slowly. And so you end up having Syrians who are able through international funding to get good, relatively good care in, main, in many hospitals, whereas a Lebanese citizen who does not have insurance is not able to get that care because of their financial uh, burdens. And that's, I think, where the anger comes from. At why are these people getting better care than I am? But I think the main responsibility goes to the Ministry of Health because every Lebanese citizen should have some sort of funding from their own country. The care does not change between Lebanese and Syrians. And in medicine, we do not see color, we do not see race, we do not see um, uh, nationality or ethnicity. So if a patient ends up in a hospital and you have to do whatever you have to do to save a life, but then when things cool down and you're starting to think about what different practices, that what different medications I can offer, finances can become an issue. And I think there's better kind of coverage for Syrian refugees nowadays compared to just the Lebanese uh, uh, citizens, uh, as long as they don't have uh, private insurance. Right. And to put it into perspective, uh, I think private insurance in, uh, in Lebanon costs a lot of money right now. Like if you want, let's say, primary, like first class, there's first class, second class, whatever private insurance, you you can pay, depending on your age, you can pay anywhere between Three thousand to thirteen thousand dollars a year, or something like that, for for this insurance, and that's out of range for a lot of people in the country. And but the other thing I would say too is when I've talked to a lot of NGOs, such as the AFD or the International Rescue Committee, they they say that they're helping more and more actually Lebanese citizens these days compared to what they were in the past, just because a lot of them need help at this point. But now going into this, so what is the initiative with the UNICEF and what are you guys that you'll be doing with the UNICEF to try to improve the situation uh, currently in the country for uh, neonatal care? Um, this is a project that uh, started, I think, uh, a year or two ago. Um, it was uh, started by our head of division, uh, Dr. Yunus, and a team of people that includes physicians from different uh, hospitals in Lebanon or different universities in Lebanon. It includes um, nursing and nursing uh, nurse educators and pharmacy, uh, nutrition, respiratory therapists. Uh, so this project was initiated to get an idea of what is the neonatal care like in Lebanon, mostly in governmental hospitals or public hospitals. And we chose four different hospitals uh, through, uh, through different uh, parts of the country that were interested in uh, being approached. We've had several visits to each of the hospitals. We went in, looked at all the equipment, talked to the physicians, talked to the nurses. And we saw that the same thing comes over and over, financial burden. People are not getting paid as much as they could. I mean, I, one example, I was talking to one of the nurses and um, in one of the remote areas, and she was saying that her salary was $80 per month. This is a nurse who's spending uh, about 14 shifts every month. Every shift is uh, about 12 hours taking care of very sick newborns. And all they're compensated with is $80. And for them to go and get paid, the cashiers in their hospital doesn't have $80. So they have to get the exact change. So the hospital, the hospital will give them 100 and they need to give them 20, 20 back to get paid. And if you're not, I mean, if you're not getting paid enough, you're not able to provide for your family. And I think your will to help others will be less and less. So we were looking at these uh, hospitals and we noticed one recurring theme was uh, the financial burdens, 
Another theme was the lack of equipment. The others were lack of testing and lack of labs that are uh, should be available in governmental hospitals, uh, which has led to many hospitals. They refuse taking care of babies born less than 35 weeks of gestation. So all these supposedly level two or level three NICUs are automatically now level one NICUs, such as a no normal nursery. And the question has always arisen. So you go and so a woman goes and she delivers at 28 weeks and the hospital says no i can't take care of this baby they will always ask the same question so where does that baby go and we never get the answer which probably means that either people are taking those babies to die at home or they're finding some other way to go to another hospital so to help with that uh, with this initiative we have uh, compiled a neonatal care course which is uh, mostly driven by neonatal nursing and some of the physicians give uh, some of the uh, course we have asked nurses from these participating hospitals to come to AUB. They attend the course. It's a two-day course. And then they spend one or two weeks in the NICU at AUB to see how things are done at our place. And we're hoping that once they go back to their referring institutions, that they should be able to offer this practice over there. When it comes to physicians, it's probably a little trickier. We can't just get bring physicians and uh, say, we want to teach you neonatology yeah. all over again. So it's a little tricky there. But we're work, uh, making some um, um, some efforts into that. Um, and uh, our team also has been to these centers after these uh, lectures, and we are uh, doing some um, uh, spot checks to make sure that things are doing fine. Now, with the help of the UN, uh, UNICEF, we're trying to also bring, uh, acquire equipment to these hospitals. And, and apparently they have a lot of equipment that's just ready to be there. We just need to ask for it. So this is something that's helpful. Uh, hopefully, moving on, we are trying to include more and more governmental hospitals to uh, to include in the in the future. Now, a problem that we that I noticed when we were doing this project is we have many uh, provinces in Lebanon where they don't have governmental hospitals with neonatal care in them. For example, two main areas in Lebanon are. Kisirwan and Metin, which host a significant number of population, of the Lebanese population. And these two places don't have any neonatal care, uh, governmental neonatal care in this area. So people end up going to private, uh, privately owned uh, centers. Let's say you have a level two, level three patient who comes to a hospital who cannot take care of them. At this point, uh, I know the initiative hopefully will help with that and they need to be transferred and you get a call at AUB, we need to transfer this level three patient over to AUB. How does the process take place? And are you, are you able to transfer the patient even if they don't have, let's say, coverage? And if you want, you don't have to answer the question. I, I can tell you as much as I can tell you. <laughs> um, so medically, I have, and I teach that to my trainees, I never refuse any medical transfer. So from a medical standpoint, any patient that's, that wants to come to our center, medically, I'm in a referral center. So I have to accept every patient, whatever, whatever it is. Is it a patient that will come and die in my hospital? I, don't, I really, I don't mind that. Problem with, uh, usually is administrative because the administration eventually will uh, can block a transfer based on finances. So if someone is not financially clear, then that might be a problem. Uh, we try to mitigate that by, we have a, something called the Neonate Fund, which is a fund that helps babies uh, that need admission to the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Now, this fund has its own limitations, especially with all the crises that happen. But we try to help as many patients as we can. But medically, we never refuse a patient. I, uh, hopefully that could answer the question. <laughs>
Yeah, it did. And it seems that uh, keeping this new Nate fund, I guess, uh, funded in a good way probably will be helpful to get all the babies that need to be transferred over, uh, transferred over effectively uh, using that fund. So basically, I think it was a good talk. I just want to uh, ask you any any parting points that you have and what do you think the future prospects uh, are uh, for NICU care in Lebanon? Well, thanks for having me, Khalil. Um, I think we need more and more education and awareness in Lebanon. Uh, many of these problems that we see can be solved by just having the proper knowledge. For example, a woman who is in a high-risk pregnancy can actually go to a place where she knows that her baby will be taken care of. Ask questions to your insurance companies. We have a lot of insurance companies that don't tell you that they might not cover a baby. You're pregnant, you deliver, and they tell you, oh, no, we don't cover a baby we, uh, if they go to the NICU. And so these are all these fine prints that some people, I think, need to ask, uh, ask about. If you have a way of helping patients either by donating or uh, supporting in any way possible, I think we are going through a point where we need all the help that we can, uh, we can get. And in general, we're, we're really doing this as a specialty. We're doing this to enable all these babies who were not supposed to be with us. Uh, we're trying to offer them a decent life. And we really work hard. We are very really meticulous. As you said, we are counting calories to make things better. We just, I think we just deserve better as a population. Uh, our kids and babies deserve much better than what we're uh, faced with. Uh, if people want to donate, donate to the Natal Fund, how do they do that? They're on social media. There's a number there that they can call. And uh, I think if you just Google Neonate Fund, you'll you'll find it. Yeah, we will uh, we will place that number uh, once we publish uh, the podcast. Uh, so uh, thank you, Fauzi, for discussing Neonate Care in Lebanon at AUB in Beirut and the future prospects uh, with us today. Thank you, Khalil. It was a pleasure.